This is episode number 163 of the Rising Man podcast with Mitch DeArmond. Men must get together, period. Welcome back to the show, Rising Man family, and thank you for joining me here today. Jedi Azuma again on the mic checking in. Glad to be here with y'all again for another amazing episode with a really incredible and special man to me today. Before I introduce him, a reminder, this is your last chance to enroll for Elements. We're going out there, not this weekend, but next weekend, March 5th through 7th. You can go get yourself enrolled and registered at risingman.org slash elements. It's going to be incredible. Three days out in the wilderness with a team of men, nomadically scouring the landscape, connecting back to our environment, to the wildness within us and definitely learning a lot about what we bring and what we show up like in the unknown. So come join us for an adventure, risingman.org slash elements. Okay, my guest for today is a beloved man in my life, Mitch D. Armin. Mitch is an elder and a mentor of mine. We met in the Native American church community. He's been actively involved in men's circles for decades. And really what I love about Mitch is he's just a very genuine and honest man. And I, I know that that will come through in this episode. We had a really powerful conversation. In this episode, Mitch and I took an honest look at the culture of men and masculinity. Mitch emphasized the simple importance of men getting together more and why that doesn't need to look any certain way. We discussed the failings of modern parenting in our society at large when it comes to preparing boys to be men. Mitch spoke openly about the importance of intergenerational connections, why there is value for elders and youngers to be spending more time together. We spoke about the risk of broad strokes in social movements, including the effects of the Me Too movement on our society. And lastly, Mitch gave his perspective on sacrifice and the importance of a man giving his all for his people. Without further ado, Mitch DeArmond. All right, Rising Man family, I've got a really special man in my life here joining me today. This is a man that I've looked up to for a while. You'll see why. I won't say too much more, but Mitch DeArmond joining in from, what is it, Roiner Park? Roiner Park. Roiner Park, California, coming in live. Good to have you, Mitch. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling really good. It's a sunny day in Northern California, so things are good. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Well, yeah, obviously people who are listening will have heard a brief introduction that I did about you, but my connection with you is through the Native American church community and also through this vague space of men's work. I think everyone's using this term men's work right now. So I thought I would just ask you, because I know you've had a lot of experience in a lot of different communities of men for, I don't know, we talk, we're talking decades, right? Mm -hmm. So just give us a brief perspective on your background in this type of work and why conversations about manhood are important to you. Well, in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, a lot of it had to do with addiction recovery, men who were doing the addiction recovery thing and realizing how um, immature, how childish these men were relating to just average everyday things. They had no like real idea of cause and effect to motivate them. They had no adherence to any principles that they were taught were, were like mandatory you know, in, in those days, everything was like, you choose, you choose, you choose, which is good. It's good freedom, but they weren't choosing. And so their lives are chaotic and crazy. 
And what I realized was the influence, the ways that men were being influenced in the generations was changing so rapidly that we were floundering as men. We were just floundering. Nobody was willing to stand up and commit to anything. You know, it's like under the guise of giving somebody else freedom instead of saying, you know, we need some ground here. We need a little ground for our feet to stand on. So, and, and then it's all just kind of blossomed from there. Uh-huh. So when you say it was the early 90s addiction recovery type of work where you got into this, were you more of a supporter in that? Or is you're saying that's what got you into it was your own recovery and, and that path for you? It was started with my own recovery and being one who is a fairly free thinker, not going along with everything I was being taught there, even though they were saying, you know, this will save your life. I, I wanted more value than that. You know, I wanted something more interesting than saving my life, which uh, sprung me out into a world of more than myself, like being considerate of more than myself. There's a, one of those words like be considerate. It's like we don't use very often anymore. Hey, you know, you're supposed to be considerate. And then we're like, of what? Of yourself? No, no, that's antisocial. So just learning how to socialize and get along with people as an objective for living became important instead of demanding that people get along with me and my free thinking humility. <laughs> <laughs> I want to spotlight the free thinking piece because this is something that I find to be really important. And the way I raise my children is to encourage them to think to challenge, to question it. It sucks as a parent you know, to teach your kids to challenge and question things. But I think it's important because I see myself and a lot of my peers in my generation who aren't free thinkers, who are looking for someone to tell them how to do life and how to make day-to-day -day decisions. And so speak a little bit more to that free thinking piece and what you think about that. Well, I think we it's important that we encourage people to look at their experiences and think about that, not I got this idea. I know we experienced some in some of the spiritual realms that we exist in. You know, people think that they're having visions and things like that because, because that's the language they think they're supposed to use when all they're having is an idea. And the importance of if you have a good idea, you need to follow it up with actions that's just as good as the idea instead of sitting around talking about your idea because thinking should have a purpose. You should, you're thinking about stuff for a reason. You're creating things mentally to attain or progress in a direction that I would think we would want to be beneficial. And, you know, as we continue on and getting older, it should be beneficial to more people, not less. It's not just early on. It's beneficial to myself. Important to be able to take care of ourselves you know, take a bath, comb our hair, brush our teeth, all those self-care things. And then, like yourself, being a father, I'm a father of four, is we got to conduct ourselves. We have, the, have to have the idea of how am I going to make this better for them? Whether it be acquiring of food or skills, which is where all the esteem comes from. So let me interject there for a moment, because I find that that tends to be one of the biggest problems with young men that I work with is moving from ideas to action. And I'm interested in, number one, why do you think that's such a challenge? And secondary to that, I also see that there's a lot of guys that seem like they don't want to take that action for themselves. They don't even want to take care of themselves. And I wonder why you think that happens and that why does that occur for young guys? 
Oh God, now I'm going to get myself in trouble. Well, get yourself in trouble. That's what we need, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be very careful as the availability of men to each other. These younger men have been taught through experience, not like a lecture taught, but through experience, a different value in their role in the world and being a listener and a conversationalist. And they've been convinced of things like emotional availability. Like you just need to be emotionally available to whoever your audience is instead of you need to have emotions, but you also need to express them in an appropriate way so you don't cause harm. Not I'm just in touch with my feelings because I can get very narcissistic and self-centered and and crazy. You know, there's all kinds like Warren Farrell, Jed Diamond, done a ton of work around things that this exclusion of men in our society has generated a lot of women having to contribute things that maybe with all of the best heart and intentions and desire are not really effective for the development of a young man. He doesn't think the same, but he will pretend he does. It's for resources. You know, a lot of parents get to that. My kids are manipulating me rather than I'm giving in to my kids. They're manip- of course they are, because as a more primary mode of operating, by the time we get to be teenagers, young teenagers, we are thinking about resource allocation. We're not thinking about how do I feel? How do you feel? How do we feel? We think about how do I get what I want? And if I got to cry for you, our young men have learned to cry at will. You know, they get in trouble and they'll, they'll cry to convince people that they really get that what they did was wrong. And all they're doing is shortening the conversation so they can get the heck out of there. So if, if I'm following you correctly, then it's the way that this generation of boys is, was raised to be men. And it sounds like they get to the stage where now the world expects them to be men or, or adults, if we want to just call it that. And they just don't have the skill set. They still have a, an immature skill set for getting what they want, and taking care of themselves. And because what we've also are doing, I 100%, and what we're also doing is we're prolonging our expectations of responsibility. You don't have to do that yet. You don't have to do that yet. You're not old enough. You don't have to build a house yet. You're not old enough. You don't have to save your money yet. You're not old enough. You should go have fun. You don't want to grow up too fast. You want to like blah, blah. There's all these opportunities for entertainment out there. You know, you could go surfing and you could go boarding and you could do all these things. So you don't really have to. And we've, and what we've created is a world of entertainment. And instead of, no, what you have to do is you have to build your own surfboard before you go surfing, not we'll go buy you one. And so this is probably a distortion of masculinity, this being the ultra mega provider culture of these entertainment things and nobody has to build their own anymore. Nobody has to grow their own garden anymore. It's almost like a novelty for somebody to say like, I have a garden when it's a way of life. It's not like a novelty. It's how you eat good food. So our ego has gotten so much into the dialogue, the conversation, the semantics that we use, that while simultaneously we're being taught that it's about a conversation. And what they've learned, these young guys have learned, is they've learned how to be very emotionally articulate, and they can't handle a feeling. They can express all kinds of feelings, but when it gets hard, they quit. And part of the reason that is, according to, I wish I had all the little pieces of things that have been read, you know what I mean? 
is that we praise them prior to their experience. So we start telling, you're a good person. Jenny, you're really a good person. I don't know anything about you, but I'm going to start validating positive aspects of you that you have not earned. So since you put no effort into it, what ends up happening is this weird codependency thing going on. And we see a lot of men who are extremely dependent on women's point of view, sometimes even about themselves. And they're just dependent on it. They feel lost without it. And so what has happened is they're disconnected from their own ability to validate themselves or what tools, what measuring tools do you use to validate yourself with? And the good fortune for society is men validate themselves through a couple of very simple things, accuracy and precision. Does it work? And if it doesn't work, it's useless. And that's why we have a difficult time with these conversations and we have to deny parts of ourselves to stay in these conversations that are just about the conversation. And what I think we're seeing as a result of that is higher levels of rage, higher levels of depression. You know, depression is a very important tool that men use so they don't kill everybody. Because most men that I know are walking around with this, they've denied themselves in their, the entirety of their being for so long that they're just repressing all kinds of normal, healthy attitudes that men have. They're hiding out and it's getting to the point of desperation. Yeah. And so let me jump in there for a second because you're dropping so much great stuff. And I know for myself, I'll speak about my experience first. When I finished college and was really launched into the world, you know, how to get my first job, first apartment, all that stuff. I personally felt wildly unprepared for what the world was. Here's I'm stepping into a world where all of that like you said, premature validation and getting the the pat on the back before I'd actually done something to deserve it didn't work in that world. And all the stuff that I'd experienced under the wing of my parents and just the safety of home didn't work anymore. And so the first tests for me of real adversity, of being out in the world, of succeeding and failing on my own merit was really difficult. And I was one of these kids that I got straight A's. I made every team that I ever tried out for. I didn't have a lot of experience of failure as a kid. So those first couple, of, even just small ones, a disagreement with my boss at work was really, really difficult for me to cope with. And that's what I hear when, and you're saying is we, we're just, we're failing to prepare our young people to cope with emotions, with experiences, with adversity, most of all. And the big one that you touched on is emotions. And so you, you said some things about being emotionally articulate, but I don't know what word you used after that, but not being able to handle an emotion, a big emotion like rage. And I've spoken about guys, I've worked with a lot of guys who have no relationship with their anger because for a lot of reasons, one is that they're just scared of it. It's socially unacceptable for a man to express anger. It's immediately associated with violence and being ostracized or made bad, punished for having that experience. So I want to hear your thoughts on this because I think you have a really great opinion about it. Well, I think a couple of things. One is in a social organism and for testosterone to be flowing through the system and motivating all the emotions and anger being one of them. As soon as you have anger and you have it backed up with testosterone, it's quite a force. It doesn't mean that the person is bad or anything. It means there's a lot of energy being moved very rapidly right now. And you better do something because if you don't, it's going to kill you. 
let alone kill the person outside of you. And what we've done is we've done this thing about denying anger instead of going like, okay, now we're, and this is what, you know, the importance of having men together is because if my children hear me pissed, yelling and screaming in the other room, they are as traumatized as if they see me hit somebody. They have no idea of what that kind of intensity is. And it does not, even if I'm doing it to keep them safe, like there's an intruder in the house and cussing and swearing and whatever's going on, it doesn't matter because the intensity of that energy is terrorizing. And so when men can get together and quit being good little boys about being angry and really let that energy out, something else can be created better after that. But the emotion has to be expressed at the level of the emotion. What uh, I saw as we were, as we keep on over-medicating everybody and admonishing them for having feelings, you can only have the right feelings now and or else there's something more wrong with you than was previously is, is a lot of men who are experiencing shame around anger and aren't getting to express it as angry are getting sick. They're dying. But where do we have in our society to say like, here, you need to go around, be around with these men and tell the truth about your anger so that you don't terrorize your wife. So you don't scare your children and you don't have to kill yourself because <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good men who will not terrorize their wives, who will not scare their children and they will die. Or they'll reach that boiling point where suddenly they become a headline. The nice guy next door who blew his head off all of a sudden or, or killed his family, right? I mean, these stories, it just seems so out of character for what I've known to be the hearts of men. Like, I believe that every man in his heart just wants to be of service, just wants to take care of his family, just wants to give. And the biggest failure point that I think we've had as a society is that we haven't made it, we haven't made it simple for boys to walk that path all the way forward to this is how I serve the people that I care about. So many guys are lost somewhere in the middle there. Because there's kind of, I'll call it a curse. I'll say it's a curse because it's fun to say. There's a curse that men have to live with and boys learn it early. When it comes to being the first line of defense against an attacker, regardless of where that is, Men are expected to be that first line of defense. So somewhere deep inside of us, we know we're expendable and are expected to sacrifice in that way if necessary. And therefore, what men's cultures have tried to do is to esteem themselves and raise the value of our expendability. It's okay if you die young, if you took care of your family. It's like, it's too bad. It's kind of unfortunate, but you know, your retirement is going somewhere and, you're, and it's like, so, you know, I'm sorry that you're dead, but what you did was valuable enough that we're going to make that an acceptable death. So what's the harm in that, in that message? Well, the only harm is that, and it really is as we have shook up the culture, which is, I think has been really good. We've included more religions and we've excluded other ones and taken parts and pieces of them but we don't have any organizing method of all of that information that we're flying around. So we have no grounded values. You can believe whatever you want. That does not mean it's wise. Believing whatever, having the freedom to believe whatever we want to is a responsibility that we take. And as we mature, those beliefs should become grounded and we need the territory for that maturity to occur, not the 
out in society being admonished, you're a bad boy or what a real man would do. And instead of seeing this, and this is why I think having men together of a large variety of ages, like having them from 10, maybe 12 to 80 is super important because the guys that are 80 are not going to get as excited about the things that the guys are in their 20s and 30s. They're not going to get as excited because they don't have the ego left to do it. The life has kicked them around enough, punctured enough holes in their sense of themselves and where they go like, okay, you can believe that if you want to, kid. And they'll just sit there and calmly just be there because what's as long as that lineage can continue, every previous generation is available and of higher value to the next generation. So that when you get into that territory that you're not familiar with, there's somebody that's already been there. It's like men need to learn how to talk to each other regularly so that we can be social, not get along with women. Because that's what it's turned into. Oh, man, I remember when I was a kid... I had a great relationship with my father too. There's a couple of things you brought up. And when you said, if you go and, and you express your anger, honestly, that it's just as traumatic to your kids, even if it's done in, in a protective manner. I remember one moment in my childhood that stands out because my dad is like the archetypal stoic provider, do whatever you have to do for your family. There was one time where I saw him get angry, like kind of bare his teeth because we were coming out of a football game. We went to go see a, a Jets game and my dad's friend was drunk and he started something with another guy and they were about to go at it. And my dad, here I am in the back seat, seven years old. And my dad, all five foot three of them stood up and said, like bared his teeth and said, you got to fucking stop. You're not going to put your hands on each other. And he, you know, held it down. And I remember feeling a blend of really protected and safe by that. Like, wow, my dad just handled that. And also, whoa, I didn't know my dad was capable of going to that edge. So there's some really interesting stuff in there. But the other piece that you were talking about with the, the generations, you know, before we even started recording, I said, what do you want to make sure you convey here? You said the importance of getting men together, of men being together. I'm interested in your perspective on the what is the role of each generation or, or each stage of life for boys all the way up to the 80 year old men? What do you see is in a healthy functioning society of men, what is the sequence of responsibility from one stage to the next? As a whole, as a continuum, minimizing the harm would be the, you know, like when a 10 year old does something, a 14 year old should already know that he is responsible to minimize the harm that 10 year old is going to do to themselves not teach them how to take the skateboard down the two inch pole over the stairway without practicing somewhere else first, you know, and pushing each other to the point of intelligence. Like young men take risks to prove something about themselves. They're trying to learn things about themselves. What am I capable of? How far can I go? You know, how high can I climb in the tree? Boys do that. You know, dad sit there and let you climb the tree. Mom say, get down. You're going to break your neck. And a dad who's trying to get along with the mom will say, get down before you break your neck when she's around. But when she's not around, he'll just sit there and listen to the branches. And, and he'll, he'll listen to like them start to creak and crack and break. And he'll listen to see if you're still climbing or if you've had enough. And if you're still climbing, he might say, that's too high because of the quality of the branches at that altitude, not because he said he doesn't trust you. He, trust, he doesn't trust your judgment because you don't have enough experience in life to have good judgment. Young guys don't. And the ones that are the most free have uh, take a lot of risks. The ones that were taken care of well when they were young, 
take more risks because they have an internal sense of safety. And so they go, they'll climb that tree like way up there. And if they don't have experience with like, you know, the sensitivity it takes to understand what a tree branch is, that's a very sensitive way of being. You know, a dad can hear a tree branch crack and pretty much know how thick that branch is based on what he knows is the weight of his son. That's sensitive. That's not emotional. He is so acutely sensitive because he has not diluted his sensitivities by indulging in his emotions. Because emotions are generated from judgments. That's one of the biggest things that I like to talk about is being emotional is being emotional. It's not a good or a bad thing, but it takes a judgment in the mind to generate the emotion. It's like, I've decided that that branch is too thin. Therefore, I'm experiencing fear for the sake of my son, which will be translated in the tone of voice I use to tell him it's too high. You need to get down. It might just be, hey, son, it's too high. You need to get down. But the other, the other thing that I experience in my family is sometimes my wife expresses things with too much emotion behind them, not really appropriate for the circumstances and the danger that's apparent. And as my sons have gotten older, it's cost her some credibility. And she grew up in a society of women who expressing your emotions was a free thing to do and you have the right to, and you know, you got to be heard and blah, blah, blah. But overdone will ruin your credibility and it will not enable you to provide the security you're trying to provide. Well, and I think that's also linked to, and obviously this isn't putting the blame on women or moms, but I think part of that, you know, the consequence of it is that it shrinks a boy's sense of where he can be safe. And then, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years, we're talking like, you know, 20s, mid 20s, when you're ready to launch into the world and the world seems so unsafe, that sense of I'm going to be okay. I'll figure this out because I was allowed to climb the tree a little bit higher. I was allowed to expand my sphere of where I'm actually okay. And then these guys are stuck in their mom's basement because the world is so terrifying and scary. And also when we overreact emotionally to situations, it sucks the energy out of the situation. So let's say my son falls out of the tree and breaks his leg. Do I get emotional about it or do I get the leg taken care of? And if, if I'm busy expressing my feelings, I'm sucking the energy out of the trauma and making it about I'm having all these feelings and he's the one in pain. And it's not about picking him up and carrying them to the doctor. It's about, I got to go through all this. No, look what I got to put up with. My son broke his leg. Look what I got to put up with rather than that was a hell of a challenge, son. You failed. <laughs> but before we get past something here, I want to circle back to the roles of each of the generations, right? From youngers to elders. And what you said about the minimizing harm throughout the continuum, I think that's really beautiful, man. That To me, that's where wisdom and experience fits in. That's where the gaps in mentorship and uncling is what one of the words I like to use have happened. And so we see more of that coming into these communities where elder guys with more experience are starting to show up for young men again. Now, but to me, that's one directional, at least in the way we've spoken about it so far. What is the value that youngers bring to that continuum? <sighs> this isn't going to sound good either. But I think the first thing that they need to learn how to do is how to get that information out of these uncles. And traditionally, the way that you get that information is by respect and being helpful. So if I want my uncle to talk to me about hunting, maybe I'll clean his rifle. 
and then say, hey, show me how this works. It's, it can be pretty disrespectful when younger men actually try to challenge older men, especially around character, because there is no way that it can be understood what it takes to get old by a younger man. You can't understand it. It's not his experience. And so all of the scars and wounds that an old man carries, which makes him old, not dead. <laughs> He's got scars and wounds. That's what makes him old, not dead, because life does that. Supporting young men to be curious about curiosity is a big connector. Like, hey, what's that like? I used to sit around with my uh, great uncles and my grandfather, who were all Navy World War II combat veterans, as well as my father. And when those guys started talking about how they got through things and what they endured to get through them, I created expectations of myself from listening to them that, oh, you don't sit around and complain about the cold. It brings down the morale of everybody. It's not that I'm denying my feelings. I'm putting my feelings aside for a greater value in the community, that what I've interjected in the community has more value than how I'm doing. And that will give me a position in the community. It's like, you can't be loud and noisy and go hunting. <laughs> well, I love that you bring that element in because to me that that at least offers up a, a way for young men to make those connections and build those relationships. And I've, a lot of the stuff that I've taken from the Native American church community has really helped in that respect, you know, that respecting elders, I've always had a, a strong respect for elders just kind of was, I think it was just built into me the way I was raised, but also the showing up early, leave late, find a way to be of service, find a way to be helpful, find a way to be useful, ask questions, you know, like showing up humbly in that way is something I've really learned in that community. And I think that if we're looking at, well, what's the value that youngers bring, we bring all of that energy and ambition. And I have a, a man in my life who always like to say that the young guys in a men's team, uh, you know, the young blood makes old blood boil. You know, I think I, I, the way I've interpreted it is we validate the work that the elder generation of men has done. If they can look at us and say, hey, you guys are doing a little better than we did. You're taking the best of what we got and you're carrying it forward. Because I already feel it. I know I'm still a really young man and I've got a long ways to go. I can already feel that the purpose of my life is for the men that come after me to do better than I did. And I actually, you can probably test this with a saliva test, but I am pretty certain that when the young men come around, the testosterone level of the older men go up because testosterone creates a vibrancy in men. It doesn't create violent men. It doesn't create angry men. It creates men who feel alive. And if you don't have the moral or ethical character prior to that, then you can get caught up into the whole negativity around testosterone. And when I was newer doing this work in probably the mid nineties, calling young adolescent boys, getting a phone call from a mother saying he's got testosterone poisoning. You really, well, because it, it got, it, we, we got past it before it took hold, but the current version of that is toxic masculinity. Masculinity doesn't have ability to be toxic. Poor character is toxic, whether it's not engendered. But it's another shaming statement that these young guys got to get through. And if they, and I think one of the biggest, I know I'm changing the subject, but, but and the biggest disadvantage to them is their sexuality. Because these young men will give in to anything that, to any of that negativity and pretend that they're not it. 
because sex is in the margin. He's like, I'm going to agree with you because I th- I'm hoping that there's going to be sex at the end of this. <laughs> right. Well, that's, I mean, that's one of the two driving forces of, of life. So it's real. You know, I, I don't want to go down the sex rabbit hole, but that's a real thing, man, is that you're absolutely right. And I appreciate you just blatantly calling it out because any man to say that that's not a driving force in his existence is denying that of himself or saying something to save face or make himself appear less. Well, the horrible part about it is he is denying his true nature at the very fundamental of what being a human being is. If you pretend that sexuality is not, I mean, it is the creation of our entire universe. The whole sexuality thing is why this whole thing exists. And if that's coursing through our system and our consciousness and all the levels and tiers and realms of experience to sit there and pretend like you're not motivated by it is you're either straight up lying or you're so disconnected from yourself because you don't know how to deal with it. Well, and here's where we get to talk about something that might ruffle some feathers and make people uncomfortable. I was pretty adamant about this when it first happened. When Me Too first came out, obviously, I don't have any tolerance for violent or disrespectful objectification of women in the way that it was being publicized. You know, these guys who are doing all these despicable acts, right? We don't need to name them off. But the consequence that that had on men and our ability to express our honest sexuality has been, I think we're still feeling the repercussions of that because all of a sudden, all men are now the problem. Not just a couple of men, but the broad stroke that was cast with this to to protect women, rightfully so, it made all men wrong for the primary instinctual sexual urges that we have. And again, you know, broad strokes for billions of people, but I saw and I felt it too. I remember feeling, whoa, it feels a little less safe than it already did to be a man in my genuine experience in my community now. And what is the question? I don't have a question. I'm opening that up because I'm sure you have an opinion about it too, (laughs) but I'm just sharing mine. There's a couple of things that I have prejudices about. One is this. Women are 100% responsible for themselves. 100%. I raised two daughters. If you're hanging around with the wrong kind of people, you're hanging around with the wrong kind of people. If you are going to be innocent, you probably shouldn't be hanging around with people because women know men. And if you're hanging around with the wrong kind of men and you think you're going to get away with it, that is irresponsible. In our society, we have a very poor perspective of women, a very disempowering perspective of women for themselves. We treat them as innocent. We treat them as victims and we treat them as in need of help that they don't need. And we remove all of that responsibility from them. This is a very adolescent male thing to do because what we do is we remove all of that responsibility from them. We put it on ourselves and we become knights in shining armor for them, not for the culture, not for the society, for them. Well, what do you think the payoff is if you slay all the dragons for her? I know what I think the payoff should be. Yeah, yeah, right. Getting late or something. So there we are again. We've circled right back. But the biggest point is, is that we as a society still do not allow women to be responsible for their circumstances. And we say that they're powerful and we say, but they're powerful without us saying. Women are powerful because I validate them. Women are powerful. And I used to lead women's groups in drug and alcohol treatment. And those women treat each other like they're powerful. 
Like they have intentions and they're doing stuff on purpose. That includes manipulation, hurting people, pissing people off, being selfish. But if I, as a man, say that a woman's that way, I'm labeled a misogynist rather than, no, women can be that. They're not all that way and they're not all that way all the time. But if I grow up into a level of maturity and I don't understand what I'm dealing with, then my expectations are different. And I'll be surprised by what a woman is. Yeah, I know where you're coming from because I know your heart and I know you. I, I know that people will hear what we're saying here in whatever way that they want to. But I know that you're also not saying that we as men can't take responsibility for how we show up with women. Because I think there's the there's the other side of it that, of course, it's expected and it should be expected that we can respect and honor women too. Absolutely. And what I'm trying to say is... Men need to take responsibility for how they show up, not how they show up for women, how they show up. And that's socially, intellectually, and younger men with less experience and maybe haven't taken on as much responsibility as yet are going to show up differently and are more easily manipulated because they'll do anything to get what they want. They'll do anything. And the awesome thing that I appreciate about my daughters is with just a look, they can get guys in motion. My daughters can look at a guy and all of a sudden he'll sit there and he'll start doing stuff. And I'll be going, oh, that poor man, (laughs) that poor man, because he doesn't know what he's doing. But I know what he's doing it for. He wants her attention to stay on him, which is cool. That's normal. Every monkey does it. So do the elephants and giraffes. They all do it. But in our society now, we try to call it something more palatable to segments of our communities. I mean, growing up as a teenager in the 70s was very difficult around all these things that were still struggling with the same stuff. All of the people who were saying all the things in the 70s, all we have is a bunch of confused men who somehow are supposed to tolerate being confused all the time because the criteria is changing You know, we don't have like Christian values to fall back on to say like whether I'm doing it right or wrong. All we have is this week's media. So what was right five years ago? Well, it's it's like this and I'll get a little political. So punishing people for something that they did when they were a teenager, when they're in their 50s and 60s and 70s, canceling them, canceling them because of something they did when they're in college. There's no consciousness to it. It's a self-centered, narcissistic way of doing things. It only pleases the person who's creating the criteria. Right. And there's no curiosity to it. When these things get dug up out of people's history, there's no curiosity to it. It's real black and white. You did that. You're wrong. You're out forever. Blacklisted. No chance. Instead of us as a society and a community saying, although we're not condoning that, why did that happen? Why did that young man make that decision in the first place? Where did we fail? Well, yeah. And a lot of it is, I mean, it's in the midst of this cultural change we're going through, supporting men to discipline themselves with dedication and commitment mentally and emotionally so that things can stabilize so that we don't get this weird titillation from something that somebody tries to make it inflammatory and it all fun. You know, it was Donald Trump was peculiar and funny at the beginning of his reign. It was ridiculous, the things that he was saying and doing. None of that has changed. We called him mentally ill. 
book was written about it, 2017. And yet people still think that they're a better person to ridicule him. You're ridiculing a mentally ill person. What does that make you? And all of that is, you know, men for thousands of years have tried to come up with methods of dealing with our own egos. And there's a lot of egotistical novices out there right now that don't understand that their ego is running things, which circles back to what you said about the Me Too thing. Women should not be mistreated, but who knows that 40% of young men are molested? 40%. That's not a small number. How do they get 40% of the attention? No, because they're the dominators in the culture and all the attention deserves to go elsewhere. Yeah. And I think that what I start to see, because I'm a critical thinker like you, I like to say, well, what's beneath that? Because we have such a short attention span and because we, we need instant gratification and we need resolutions for problems right off the bat, there's a decrease in the willingness for us to go deeper, to be more curious about what's at the root of that problem. Because some people might hear what we're saying and say, oh, those guys, they're not on board with me too. They're misogynistic assholes and they don't care about women, which anybody who knows us will know exactly the opposite. But all we're really saying is, well, what is behind all of this? Because if we don't really get curious about the root of these problems, they're just going to perpetuate themselves in different ways. And we'll just keep putting a Band-Aid on a hemorrhage until we can't take it anymore and have the same things happen. I agree. I agree. We don't really accept how luxurious our living is. We have no acceptance around that. We think we deserve. Who am I to decide what's deserving? Who am I to say I deserve anything? rather than work for it. You were saying something before that reminded me, it made me think about being in the grocery store. And I think I said this on a podcast episode recently where you know, I go to the grocery store and everybody there is just on zombie mode, right? We're just trying to get a task done, right? We got to get food, bring it home to the family. There's such a disconnect between what a lot of humans in history have had to go through just to provide food for their families. There's bloodlines that were wiped off the planet because despite their best efforts, they failed to provide food for their family and everybody starved to death. And now we get pissed off because the line at the grocery store is too long or because somebody stole our parking spot. It's like, man, if only you could understand how privileged it is to just go and show up and have food drop into your basket. I'm not Christian in that way, but it's literally like we're living in the garden of Eden. Not everybody, obviously, but those of us who have that experience of life, it's so privileged to be able to just have this food at our disposal, right? Clean water. And being a cynical old man, um, I always laugh at these young men who are trying to re-enliven this warrior spirit thing. And they brag about going to Whole Foods. It's like, that's not how those guys lived. They didn't go to the grocery store. They didn't have a parking lot to put their car in. It's like they went and they found stuff. And most days they failed. Those guys went hungry. Like you were saying, you know, generations were lost because the warriors failed. And I think we're experiencing some of that in the internal life of our young men right now. We're losing them because the adult men are not maturing and they're not included because we keep acting like men everywhere we go. It's like we're scarred and calloused and with little or no objectivity around how that happened. No one's going to a bunch of men and going, hey, man, you guys got a whole bunch of, unless we can make it a dramatic PTSD thing, we're not really in touch with the suffering of men 
and how masculinity gets through that so our culture can still exist. How we push ourselves, we walk with a limp, the shoulders sore, oh, my neck and my back, and I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it tomorrow because I am dependent on to do it. Yeah, versus the what seems like one of the primary strategies of making men more and more obsolete. I don't know if it's a strategy, if it's that conscious. I think it's... Well, unconscious, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's well, they're trying to find a way. It's unfortunate that we're not in touch enough with what we want. Because what we're doing is we keep throw casting things aside. Well, we don't want that. We throw it away. We cast, we don't want that. But some of the things we're throwing away is the only way to get what we want. You need men to be self-sacrificing, not self-involved. You need them to be able to put aside their desire for the well-being of more than just themselves. It's like in native culture, who you are in the community is more important than your name. It doesn't matter what your name is and what you call yourself and the attributes you validate yourself by. It's like, did you help your grandma? Did you put meat on the table? It's like, we don't care what your name is. We can call you anything. Doesn't matter to us. Your name is expendable. Your contribution physically is what the tribe needs to survive. And right now, I think we're, as men, we're at a very cool transition, and it's probably going to get hot, of consciousness because you can't go slay the dragon for validation anymore. And so what we're bringing to the table cannot be filled with defiance and rebellion. We have to find a more cunning, more sensitive, more accurate, more precise way of being in the world that brings the things to the table that we have always brought. Reliability, security, safety. But who's how old are you before I tell you it's your turn to make it safe? Well, that's a good question, man. That might have to be a conversation for another day. <laughs> but you know, usually I ask this question in the very beginning to set the context of what it looks like. But I'm going to flip it. I'm going to ask you this question at the end. I'll maybe and think of it as like a synopsis. And the question is, what does it mean to be a man? It means to internalize a sense of security during constant change, to be an icon of reliability in chaos. It means to be trustworthy in how you will respond to any circumstance that it will be beneficial to the community or the social organism more than self-serving. It's okay if you can get some stuff for yourself too. That's your part of the organism too. But more than, and all of the years it takes to get there. <laughs> yeah, you don't just flip a switch, right? You don't just flip a switch and have that come on overnight. You know what? Masculinity at 10 to 50 is so different for the person who's continually growing with life experience. But masculinity is not static. And one of the beautiful things right now is one of the things that's going on with masculinity is what has always gone on with masculinity. Masculinity challenges masculinity. And so the redefining, the honing of what masculinity is becoming is really important. And what we also got to figure out, and masculinity isn't just male, by the way, is, is and we also got to figure out what its value is within the culture that we are creating. 
Because right now, I don't see anybody saying, we understand we're creating culture right now. Amen. Right now. Yeah. And everything we do, even in the unconscious things that we do is creating a culture. It's not, creating culture is not purely a conscious thing in its best form it is <laughs> when, we're, when we're putting attention on it and intention and how we want this you know we're, we're thinking about future generations but i don't know how many years you want to go back and say to where we stopped intentionally creating the culture we want well i think that the biggest damage that we've done we're doing to it is that we're putting we're creating and validating more personal identity the ego is the destroyer of culture it's like, so now our, we have microcultures. I'm sure somebody's going to come up with that term soon. We have microcultures. And so now you could be a vegetarian or better than a vegetarian, be a vegan. And that makes you better than somebody else. And you can think of yourself as a good person with your all natural clothes or in a less acceptable way. How willing are you to be violent? There's many cultures that being violent is a validation a positive validation, not this, you know, everybody should be like a Franciscan monk mentality. Well, to me, that's one of those red alarms that goes off when it comes to the ego is when there's the sense that my culture is better than your culture. There's this underlying boosting mechanism that makes me better than that feeds something in my ego. When we really look at it, if you can really zoom out and diminish the ego, it's not about, that's kind of what we've been saying this whole time is it's not about me and my elevation in society it's we because if i get to the top but there's nobody there with me then what was the point it's it i agree i mean the ego is is something that is so misunderstood and it's actually as we become more and more antisocial, one of the ways that we're doing it is we're becoming more and more ego validating to go back to a more sensitive part of the conversation becoming a part of the Me Too movement was very ego validating for a lot of people. And then what always happens is the other egos come in and say, well, here's the rest of the truth. Here's the rest of the truth. And so this part that you're telling is true. But then what the first people to speak say is, well, you shouldn't be talking about that. And they become fascists to maintain their own identity. They decide who deserves what and what they can and can't talk about and what they shouldn't, shouldn't talk about. Because the ego takes the conflict as invalidating instead of consciousness. The more information you throw in, the greater the consciousness. But what they do is it invalidates the ego when you start saying, well, men are abused too. 90% of our homeless are men. Are we spending 90% of our resources on them? Because what we're not talking about is justice. I mean, like really justice. Right. I think that's a great punctuation mark, man. Let's leave people thinking on that one for a second. <laughs> I really appreciate the energy that you bring here, man. And I knew that we would talk about some wonderful things and obviously we could keep going and going, but got to put an end to this chapter for now and pick it up again later. Before we go, I'd like to give you a moment just to speak about what you're creating with your men's weekend. And even if it's just to speak to the concept of it, cause I know you're still developing it. And then when it's ready to be, boosted we could talk about it here and let guys know where they can go to be a participant so to stay current with the times i don't want to tell everybody that my wife and kid had to help me get on this zoom call but there's a website men man m-a-n hyphen or dash two t-o dash men m-e-n man to men.com the weekend is about uniting men it's not about being right it's not about being wrong it's about Let's bring some black and white into this. 
Let's have a little black and white too. It's okay to stay gray and creative and all other stuff, but let's include a little black and white in some of this stuff. I'm trying to ignite the men into this idea that they need to commit to principles. I do weddings from time to time and and what we've lost is the commitment to the vows, not the commitment to the person. If we're committed to the vows, we can keep a lot of the ego out of the marriage. But if we think the commitment is to the person, it's a discussion and a dialogue. And there's no self-improvement responsibility. And this thing of our creation, the relationship, is talked about as an identity outside of our own creation. And no one takes responsibility for, oh, I did that. I put that in the relationship. And so when we have vows that we commit to, the principles we conduct our lives by should be life enhancing. So it's just kind of getting down to that, you know, like, come on. I know so many men that are just tired of that, the dialogue part of it, you know, the misrepresentation, the unjust use of facts, the personalized truth that isn't accurate. It's like, so we're going to try to get down to the truth about things and personalize it and be accurate about it and learn how to make decisions for our lives based on some of the changeless things that need to happen instead of this ever-evolving, ever-changing dialogue that only satisfies the person having it. <laughs> I love that, man. Well, so we'll make sure we put that link man-to-man in the show notes. Do you guys have a date for the weekend? I know you said it's it's May 2021 sometime, right? Do you have a date yet? Yeah, it's and it's going to be the weekend before Memorial Day weekend, Friday to Sunday. The site is going to be probably somewhere in the Sonoma, Sacramento, maybe down, down your way, Santa Cruz area. We got a lot of people looking for a good site that can host the things that we want to do. Beautiful. Well, make sure you guys go check this out. I mean, I know a lot of people won't know you and may not be able to find much information about who you are, Mitch, but at least for me, for what it's worth, you're definitely one of those men that I know I can count on who is consistent in his values and who he says he is. So anything that you're putting together, I know is going to be solid gold, man. So look forward to seeing that come to creation. Thank you, Jetty. And I just can't encourage you enough to keep going with this father work that you're doing and the people that are uh, going to benefit from the dedication and spirit that you bring to being a father. It is almost makes me a little weepy that men can outwardly express the love they have for their children the way you do. It is more than beautiful. It's like, man, someday I want to grow up and be just like you. Thanks, Mitch. Well, the appreciation and acknowledgement is mutual, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. And yeah, we'll have to do another chapter in the future. Talk about some of those things we didn't get to. (laughs) All right. All right, make sure you go to risingman.org to get the links and resources in our show notes. And while you're there, go to risingman.org slash elements to get yourself enrolled. Grab one of those last few seats for our elements excursion coming up on March 5th through 7th here in California. Go check it out today and get yourself signed up. Subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast. Go and follow us on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Shout out to the Power Squad, Mark, Kyle, Ryan, Sean, Rowan, and Julian. Much love to you, fellas. Thanks for everything you guys contribute. We've been going strong for a while now, fellas. Thank you for consistently and continuously showing up to support what we're up to here. And everybody else who's been listening in for all this time, whether this was your first or your 
200th episode. I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you for all the support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.